Welcome to Worldview from the Irish Times. I'm Dennis Staunton. Today we'll hear from Argentina about that country's second default in 12 years and ask what options are open now to President Christina Kirchner. But we begin in the Middle East, where Israeli forces have withdrawn from Gaza almost a month after the start of an offensive that has left more than 1,800 Palestinians dead, most of them civilians, including more than 400 children. 63 Israeli soldiers have been killed, along with four civilians. The Israeli withdrawal comes at the start of a 72-hour ceasefire brokered by Egypt, which, as we speak, both Israel and Hamas have been respecting. Egypt wants both sides to meet in Cairo to discuss a broader agreement, including Palestinian demands for an end to Israel's blockade of Gaza and the opening of border crossings. But what kind of deal is possible? What role can the international community play? And where do the protagonists in this conflict stand after four weeks of bloodshed? I'm joined from Jerusalem by our correspondent Mark Weiss, from Nicosia by Irish Times Middle East analyst Michael Jansen, and here in studio by Patrick Smith, foreign policy editor of the Irish Times. Mark Weiss, why has Israel withdrawn its forces from Gaza now? Look, the top priority for the Israeli army inside Gaza was to destroy the cross-border attack tunnels built by Hamas. Um, Now the final, the 32nd such tunnel has been blown up by the Israeli forces. Once that happened, there was essentially no need to keep the Israeli forces inside Gaza. Most of the troops had already left. Some were redeployed just inside Gaza, close to the Israeli border, along the border. This was also uh, a way of exerting pressure, if you like, uh, on the Palestinian side to... um, to go to the talks in Cairo and reach a ceasefire agreement with Israel. Now that those two things have happened, that the tunnels have been blown up and the Palestinians have agreed uh, to uh, take on this 72-hour truce, which will open the path to more substantial ceasefire talks, then there was no need for the Israeli troops to remain in Gaza. However, they are redeploying on the other side of the border, the Israeli side, in very heavy numbers still, just in case something breaks down and there will be a need to re-enter the Strip. Uh, Now, a few days ago, the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was insisting that there wasn't going to be any negotiated end to the offensive, that basically uh, he didn't want to get involved in any talks that were also involving Hamas. Has this uh, ceasefire, does this represent a change of, uh, of mind on the part of Mr Netanyahu? Well, I think that was a temporary position vis-a-vis the ongoing negotiations around the temporary truce, the 72-hour truce, which began this morning, as you know. Um, Israel's position is that uh, six cease, uh, previous ceasefires have all been broken by Hamas, and therefore they were not going down that road again. They would deploy uh, in Gaza until the mission was completed. Uh, however, it, Israel's position has always been uh, that the, in, the Egyptian ceasefire proposals were the only game in town. Israel agreed to that uh, uh, more than three weeks ago. It was Hamas who originally um, refused, uh, for their own reasons, uh, basically prolonging this conflict. We, now, we are now today at where we could have been three hours, three, three weeks ago, if uh, the other side of Hamas had agreed then to negotiate on Egypt's terms. Uh, Mark, Israeli public opinion has been overwhelming in its support for the military campaign in Gaza. But Mr. Netanyahu has been facing competing political pressures, both inside and outside his coalition. Could you describe what those pressures have been? There is a, um, 
nearly all Israelis are united uh, around the position that um, there needs to be a long-term uh, solution that will result in quiet uh, on the Gaza border, particularly for the communities close to uh, around Gaza. Um, the question is, how do you get that? Um, there is a substantial amount of Israeli public opinion that believes that uh, essentially no truce agreement with Hamas will last longer than a couple of years, three years maximum, say, and then we'll be in for another round of terrible violence on both sides. This is now the third such conflict uh, in the last decade. Um, there is a belief amongst many Israelis that the only way to uh, ensure long-term quiet is actually to topple the Hamas regime. That includes ministers within the prime minister's uh, own governing coalition, and they have been arguing for that position since the start of the conflict. Uh, their position was not adopted. The prime minister did not, uh, and the defence minister together, who, who basically ran the war, believed that um, hopefully this time uh, the death and destruction has been so vast that there, Israel has created some kind of deterrence that will uh, stop the militants from launching um, more rockets into Israel or um, carrying out more attacks via the tunnels. Michael Jansen, as uh, Mark Weiss was saying a moment ago, Hamas rejected a ceasefire proposed by Egypt a few weeks ago, which was essentially the same as this one. Why have Hamas said yes this time? Well, they have said yes, because actually the ceasefire is not the same. Uh, for one thing, by the time the ceasefire was proposed, the Israeli army was already getting out of Gaza. And on the other hand, um, the Egyptian ceasefire, the original Egyptian ceasefire, did not make any kind of uh, proposals for uh, ending the siege of Gaza, um, release of Hamas prisoners, and international help uh, to reconstruct Gaza. The, in, uh, the initial Egyptian uh, plan was to have a ceasefire for 72 hours and then come to Cairo and discuss. And there was no Egyptian um, commitment to back the demands of Hamas and the Palestinians in Gaza. Why has Egypt shifted? Uh, because it couldn't but shift because of the amount of death and destruction taking place in Gaza. It was under popular pressure to shift. And also there were Turkey and Qatar who were trying to um, steal the game from the Egyptians by uh, consulting with uh, U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry on uh, ceasefire proposals, which uh, the last but one ceasefire proposal, which was issued by Kerry, was adopted uh, with demands from Hamas included. Uh, at the start of this war, Michael, Hamas appeared to be on its knees politically, financially and diplomatically. Where does it stand now? Well, politically, it's in a, well, for the time being, at least in the short term, in a strong position. And it is also now in the uh, consensus government, which the Palestinians have formed, uh, and uh, which is operating um, on behalf of both Hamas and Islamic Jihad, as well as members of the Palestine Liberation Organization, Fatah, and the other parties. 
So they uh, feel that they are covered by the PLO and the Palestinian Authority and the West Bank, um, which is something which Hamas has been trying to negotiate for quite some time. And what about uh, the role of this consensus government and of uh, Mahmoud Abbas and the PLO in any future settlement where Gaza is concerned? Well, um, the, the consensus government will have to take over the ministries in Gaza without uh, turfing out all of the Hamas administrators, because mo many of these people are not really Hamas people. They are administrators who would work under any government. So there will have to be a deal on that. The present prime minister um, of the Palestinian uh, government is pushing for uh, development funds and for uh, an end to the um, siege and blockade of Gaza and doing all the right things. He has uh, also proposed to get electricity quickly to Gaza on ships. So um, I think that the government in, in Ramallah is uh, doing fairly well. The question of Mahmoud Abbas, uh, his uh, standing amongst Palestinians is very low uh, because he failed with all, for all these years since he took power in 2005 to get anywhere in negotiations with Israel. There's no two-state solution on the horizon. The last uh, chance for that was uh, under Mr. Kerry, and he failed. So Mahmoud uh, Abbas's standing is very low, and um, perhaps even lower than that of the leaders of Hamas. He has been shown to be uh, without any kind of power. Uh, there is a clamor in the, amongst Palestinians for the Palestinian Authority to take Israel to the International Criminal Court. And the Palestinian Foreign Minister, Riyadh Malki, uh, he is in, um, in the, the Hague today to discuss the possibility. Paddy Smith, um, the international community, or at least the European Union and the United States, have expressed some support for this Palestinian consensus government, which Israel uh, has uh, until now rejected. Do you see uh, this government playing the central role in any future arrangement in Gaza that might work? I think that the issue of who runs Gaza will have to be central to any talks at the, in, in Cairo, in the 72-hour talks process. And logically, uh, the, the, um, the unity government must be the body that, that, that does that, both pay, paying the civil servants, as, as Michael uh, was saying, and also uh, policing the, the borders, um, because Israel will insist on, on there being um, some means of controlling the flow of arms. Uh, Israel, and indeed Egypt, will, 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 will insist on, on, on that. So I, I think that this is a, a critical issue, and there's a very interesting article uh, written by Jimmy Carter and Mary Robinson, which is published in the international media today, talking about the necessity by Israel to go back on its policy of refusing to recognize Hamas, um, saying that this is actually uh, something that is a serious impediment to, to uh, peace. The uh, alternative 
uh, to the, the unity government controlling uh, Gaza is, is is what it's it's the rather far-fetched idea that uh, Lieberman has of um, of a, a UN force controlling uh, Gaza like a protectorate, but that's that's not realistic. It wouldn't be accepted by the UN. It wouldn't be accepted by the Pal Palestinians. So uh, Israel is going to have to get its head around this uh, business of of recognizing Hamas in some form. Uh, Mark Weiss, can Israel get its head around that? Well, look, the international community many years ago set um, three conditions for Hamas to meet in order to be accepted by the international community. They were recognition of Israel, renunciation of violence, and endorsing previous agreements signed between Israel and the PLO. Hamas has not budged on any of those three issues. Therefore, uh, as, Israel, as far as Israel can see it, the, the international community must maintain that position. Um, but... The national unity government, the Palestinian unity government, does change things somewhat. Hamas is not formally a member of that government, but does support it from outside. So it remains to be seen uh, after this conflict how that will play out. There is a lot of feeling in Israel that um, the, the Israeli leadership may indeed change its position, may begin to see President Abbas is not part of the problem, but part of the solution. President Abbas and the, new, and the national unity government. There may be a change um, in the Israeli position here, but yet it's still very early to say this is one of the things that may emerge when the dust settles and hopefully some kind of uh, ceasefire agreement is reached in Cairo. But that's the focus at the moment. Will the Saudis be able to agree on uh, a long-term solution that will ensure quiet for Israel and rehabilitation for the Gaza Strip. The Israeli position, uh, of course, stressing um, the priority of demilitarization of Gaza. It's difficult at this juncture to see that actually occurring. But Israel's position is that uh, they will be ready to ease the blockade in return for sustained quiet and moves uh, by the international community to ensure the demilitarization of Gaza. There's a paradox, really, in, in terms of Israel's uh, attitude to, to Hamas. Um, many Israelis wanted to see Hamas eliminated as part of the war aims in, in terms of the invasion of Gaza. But but wiser heads in, in Israel understand that if you eliminate, if you wipe out the leadership and imprison uh, Hamas, what you're going to get instead is something possibly far, far worse, and, and that there has to be a more pragmatic approach to uh, to Hamas than has been up till now. Uh, Mark, when you say that the you know that there is uh, uh, there are signs of some sort of shift, if not directly on Hamas, at least where this uh, Palestinian National Unity government is concerned, do you mean by that that you could foresee if these talks uh, actually take place in Cairo, Israel accepting uh, the primary role of this Palestinian Unity government supported by Hamas in running Gaza? It's possible. If the long-term solution involves the, um, the Palestinian Authority um, uh, uh, involvement in the solution, uh, and by that we mean Palestinian Authority security people on the border crossings within Gaza, both 
on the Israeli side and on the Rafah crossing into Egypt, then obviously uh, uh, they will have to play a role. And in order for that to happen, Israel will have to accept the legitimacy, the legitimacy of the, uh, the national unity government. So this could be one element in a much wider agreement uh, which will be thrashed out uh, in the coming days and weeks in Cairo. Uh, it would be very difficult for Israel to both reject Hamas uh, as a legitimate uh, Palestinian partner and also the unity government. There has to be, uh, as far as Israel is concerned, and the international community and also Egypt, there has to be someone on the Palestinian side that can come in, take control of the crossings of Gaza as part of a wider settlement. Finally, Mark, if this is actually the end of the military operation in Gaza that we're seeing now, what kind of questions do you think that Israelis will start to ask themselves over the next few weeks? In the same way as the Hamas leadership in Gaza will now have to um, prove to the population that everything they've gone through in the last month was worth it, and also, then the Israeli leadership also has to prove to its uh, population that um, the suffering the Israelis have gone through for the last month, the constant rocket barrages, the disruption to daily life, the running to the bomb shelters, and above all, the death of more than 60 soldiers, has been worth it. And that will only really happen if the Israeli population is convinced um, that long-term sustainable quiet is the result of this operation. If Netanyahu cannot deliver on that, and we'll only know this, of course, when the results of the Cairo talks uh, become clear, if he cannot prove this to the Israeli government, to the Israeli people, then it's clear to me, I think, there will be a, a very strong shift of public opinion away from him. At the moment, he's been quite popular during this campaign, very popular at the beginning, losing some popularity now. Um, the end result of how Israel judges this um, operation will depend on uh, if the Israeli leadership can now deliver on sustainable quiet. Mark Weiss in Jerusalem, Michael Jansen in Nicosia, and Patrick Smith here in Dublin, thank you. You're listening to Worldview from the Irish Times with me, Dennis Staunton. Argentina has defaulted on its debt for the second time in 12 years after an attempt to reach a deal with creditors failed. The dispute is with a handful of hedge funds who refused to accept a restructuring of Argentinian debt in 2005. President Christina Kirchner says that this isn't a real default, but the international ratings agencies take a different view and they've downgraded Argentina's debt. So what's really going on? Tom Hennigan has been reporting for the Irish Times from Argentina for the last few days and he joins me now. Tom, can you explain the background to this default? Well, when Argentina defaulted in 2001, it spent several years before it attempted a renegotiation with its bondholders um, to restructure that debt. And many of those bondholders insist that rather than sit down and talk about what it could pay with the bondholders, it made a take-or-leave-it offer. And because it ground down most of, the, most of the bondholders and they thought they'd never see their money back if they didn't settle, they took a huge haircut. About 65% of their investment um, on face value was lost. But some investors, particularly funds that had bought up debt after the default at pennies on the dollar, they said, look, we've got a legally binding agreement. These bonds are being issued in New York, and uh, we're going to hold out for more. And they became the holdouts, what Argentina called the vulture funds, because they were looking to make a huge profit on their investment at default. And they have essentially been pursuing Argentina through the courts in New York. And what they managed to do was to get a judge to say that Argentina could not service 
the bonds that were restructured in 2005 um, in the restructuring agreement unless they settled with them. Argentina has refused to do so, and that has pushed the country into a default. So in many ways, what it really is, it's a default within a default, rather than a country that had access to capital markets and went, um, went broke and was shut off. Uh, now, uh, Tom, the key player in all of this, or one of them, is a hedge fund manager called Paul Singer. Who's he? He is a very um, prominent Republican uh, investor on Wall Street. He is a, a figure who was behind Mitt uh, Romney's campaign for the presidency in 2012. Um, he is quite a right-wing character when it comes to economic issues, not social issues. And he has a fund uh, or a group of uh, hedge funds um, in his Elias group that basically what they do is they buy up distressed debt, whether of countries or of companies. So when everyone's hitting the exits, they come in, buy the debt at very low prices and then wait for the company to turn itself around or if it refuses to or goes bankrupt, pursues them through the court to try and get the maximum return they can on their investment. Um, and he has become... It is fair to say for many people in Argentina, the representation of what they call these vulture funds and something of a hate figure for the government because he has been relentless. Now, Singer and some of the people around the negotiations that took place for the restructuring of the debt say that, in fact, he was willing to settle for less than face value of the bonds that he bought up, but that the government refused to talk with him. Um, and even some of the people who settled with Argentina in 2005 and then when the deal was reopened again in 2010, who have been prejudiced by this default, uh, the restructured bonds that they now hold are not being serviced um, since last week. They, in fact, support Elliot um, quietly because they believe that you know he has the deep pockets to force Argentina into a negotiation that they didn't have. And there's a lot of resentment amongst investors that Argentina, unlike a lot of other countries, even countries that criticize these vulture funds, when it comes to actually restructuring the debt, they sit down and say, OK, look, let's cut a deal here. Argentina refused to do that. And so uh, Singer is, for some people, a hate figure. But for others, he's considered someone who is imposing a certain amount of market discipline on Argentina. Now, Argentina's president, Cristina Kirchner, said that actually her country had no choice but to take the course that it did. Does she have any point at all when she says this? She does, uh, in that the restructuring agreement in 2005 included a clause that said that any improved offer that the country made subsequently would have to be extended to those who took the restructuring agreement in 2005. So all of those people who settled for a 65% loss, that they would be able to uh, get a, um, an improved offer or to partake in an improved offer to any of the holdouts later on. Now, the government calculates that that could open them up to billions uh, in claims if they settled with Singer and the other hedge funds. The problem is, is that when they put that clause into the restructuring agreement, People warned them at the time and said, look, you're unnecessarily tying your hands when you consider that you have not settled with everyone and some of these funds are going to go after you in the courts. So there is an argument that, yes, that they had no choice, that they would have gone bust anyway um, or into default anyway had they settled with Singer because the, those who accepted the restriction agreement would have gone after them. But at the same time, uh, they tied their own hands. And they also, having done that, they handled the negotiations badly. They were very aggressive with Singer, and Singer himself is an aggressive character. So it spiraled um, the, the negotiations into a, a slagging match. 
And what they should have done, according to some analysts, is said to Singer, look, let's calm down here. This clause that guarantees those who entered the restructuring agreement any um, share in an improved offer expires at the end of the year. Let's just get to then and then we can sit down and talk. They didn't manage to do that either. And what does public opinion in Argentina have to say about all of this? Well, Argentina at the moment is quite polarised and it has been now for a number of years. Um, the Kirchner government runs a very populist model which looks to those productive sectors of the economy to get as much money um, from them as they can and redistribute it to supporters. So Christina um, Kirchner, President Christina Kirchner, has always maintained around 40% of support in the polls, but that's mainly amongst people who are dependent on the government for their livelihood, whether it's in um, social welfare handouts, government jobs, the amount of government jobs has expanded enormously under her government without any um, increase in efficiency within, within the state apparatus. But there are problems in the economy that are directly and indirectly linked to the fact that the, company, that the country is shut out from capital markets since 2001. And the main one you notice when you were there is inflation. Inflation is now running at around 40% a year. Officially, unofficially, people say it could be above 50%. And so many people now are involved in a game of trying to preserve their purchasing, the purchasing power of their salaries. And that has become increasingly difficult to do. And many people are increasingly fed up with her. So when she comes out and says, you know, that this default has nothing to do with us, that we're the victims of vulture funds, many people who support her say, yes, we totally agree with that point of view. But many others are going, this is, you know, just another one of these problems that you created that we're living with every day. And there is a sense of counting down now to October next year when there's a new presidential election. She has no successor ready to take over from her. It looks like it will go to another Peronist, but from the opposite wing of the Peronist party. And both markets and many people in the public are just waiting for this administration to come to an end. And is there any way out that you can see in terms of this standoff with Argentina's creditors? Well, there are foreign banking executives in Buenos Aires negotiating with local banks a plan to buy all of the debt from the holdouts, give them face value, give them what they want, take them out of the scenario, drop the legal case in New York, get the country out of default, try and get them back into emerging markets as quickly as possible, into capital markets as quickly as possible. And those banks, they're not doing this out of the kindness of their own heart. They're doing it because being in default depresses the price of Argentine bonds. They hold billions of these. If they could get a deal, the price would go up, so their assets under management would increase. So they're doing it looking after their own interests. It's not a philanthropic initiative or anything. So that is one solution. But... There are many issues around how that deal would be done, whether it would trigger this clause um, that would mean that the people who went into the restructuring agreement should get a similar offer that uh, Singer and his colleagues are going to get if this deal goes ahead. The markets are still pricing in that this default will be quick and a solution will be found. But the longer it goes on, the, you know, the more difficult it becomes, and particularly as the rhetoric from the government of um, President Kircher is becoming increasingly aggressive, aggressive against the funds, the holdouts, aggressive against the court in New York. They're now talking about taking it to The Hague, which local jurors say will never take up the case. So it's looking increasingly difficult that the government itself would be part of any solution. And many people say this is just quite cynical short-term uh, politicking because President Kircher's got a bounce in the polls 
after this latest default because she has managed to say once again Argentina is the victim of outside interests. Tom Hennigan, thank you. And that's all from this edition of Worldview. You can find more on all our stories on irishtimes.com and you can contact us at worldview at irishtimes.com. But from producer Sinead O'Shea, sound engineer James Davis and from me, Dennis Staunton, goodbye.